0: thanks worship team let's take a look at genesis 3 verses 6 and 7 together when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom she took some and ate it she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. The mission of our church we're going to be talking about today is being changed by Christ to live like Christ. And this is the beginning of the year. I'm a pastor, so I've been thinking about what are we gonna do this year? Let's get charged up. How do we get everybody fired up to do something? And how do how do we grow deeper in Christ? How do we reach the communities of, of everywhere that you're living and in Southern California? And I was reading like... Um, all these church leadership articles and how is your church unique and how are you doing something that no one else is doing and I was praying about it and and I do think God has given us a unique gift set as like churches I think are like people every every group of people has a a unique thing that they're good at and have their own spiritual gifts and solid ground has its own uh, fingerprint had this realization this week that we're actually not up to anything new and we're actually not trying to do something that no other church has ever done before. Uh, It's probably because we've been meditating and, and hashing out together what it's like to follow the ancient path and what we're trying to do here at Solid Ground is consistent with what churches and followers of Jesus have been doing for the past 2,000 years, it's to, to be with Christ and to let Christ change us so we can live like Christ and be a light to the community. Uh, we're trying to, to follow in the footsteps of, of people who've come before us like like Polycarp, in ancient Roman times. He was he was a well-known Christian leader, and um, in my research about his life, I re- I've learned that the typical Roman policy in, in Polycarp's years wasn't to, to systematically persecute Christians. It was the people who, who were above the radar, who were known for proselytizing and being very vocal about their faith. They were, in this t- period of history, willing to live and let live as long as you didn't uh, stir up um, the waters and muddy the waters, as long as you went with the status quo. But Polycarp was a bright light in his community, calling people to have their first allegiance to to Jesus Christ. And that was not going to fly with the the Roman leaders. So uh, the equivalent of a warrant was issued for his arrest, and Polycarp found out about it. And he knew the officials were coming to arrest him, and he patiently waited and 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 submitted to his his capture and he, he was brought before this large proconsul lots of people there and he was poked and prodded to to renounce Jesus Christ and the leader of this was was saying to him come on man be reasonable you're an old man by Roman standards, not today's standards, 86 was old saying, you've lived a good life. And other people were probably thinking, Polycarp, God knows your heart. Like God knows that you love him. Just just go along and, and renounce your faith and, and say, okay, I, I, I will worship Caesar, but Polycarp wouldn't. He, he wouldn't worship the emperor. He was stubborn in this fact. Nothing would make him disobey, uh, disregard, uh, or, or denounce his allegiance to Jesus Christ. And they were saying to him, these officials, we'll let you go free. Come on, just do it. And Polycarp's answer inspires me. He says, for 86 years, I have served Jesus and he has done me no evil. How can I curse my king who saved me? So finally, they brought him over to the stake. They brought him over to the, the kindling that was under him, and they, they lit the flames. And as the flames were beginning to, to, to build, Polycarp looked to the sky, and he prayed this, Sovereign God, I thank you that you have deemed me worthy of this moment. So that together with your martyrs around the throne, I may share in the cup of Christ. For this, I bless you and glorify you, Amen. Those were his last words, and for Jesus and this following, uh, following of Jesus, he gave his life. And I, I look at that and I think, how did this guy have that kind of courage? When in my life, like it's awkward sometimes, not all the time, when people say, what do you do for a living? And I'm a pastor, you know, it's like, oh my goodness, like I, I don't want to go through what Polycarp went through, and not all of us are called to be burnt at the stake, of course, but what a tremendous example for us of someone who had the courage in the face of death to say, I stand up for Jesus, and I am following Jesus, and that is my allegiance. I won't worship anything else. How does someone do that? Well Polycarp was trained to follow the ancient path, which we've been talking about is is this way of being in the world uh, that's that's oftentimes countercultural, living in a way, in a paradoxical way that embraces discomfort and and sometimes difficulty, but it's the path that leads to true joy, and true contentment and true rest last week there was this this creed i didn't articulate it like that but this this first step of following this ancient path that god has said this is the best way to be a human being and the first step is to realize that god is god and we are not i love how paul in the new testament quotes uh, the contemporary writers in his day it says and he's talking about god in him we live and move and have our being. So this week, we're going to continue looking at the the stories of people who've gone before us, but some examples of what not to do. That's one of the things I love about scripture. If this was all just made up, it would probably be a lot more of of the, uh, how does my, I have a couple friends who say, when you tell a story, sometimes you use artistic license and you put things in a better light. But the Bible is very, very honest about the people that came before us and shows us uh, not a prescription of what to do, but just a description of, of what happened and is very honest when, when they messed up. And we go in the beginning, as we read in Genesis chapter three today, um, that's, where we're gonna, that's where we're gonna focus our thoughts. And uh, up to the point of Genesis three, the beginning of creation was glorious. I mean, this movement from chaos to order, from, from darkness to light, and we find human beings created as, at the apex of creation. They're living in this state with no shame. And you know, who says the Bible? I remember every time when I was a kid, they, and the pastor said the word naked, I giggled a little bit. I'm 43. I can freely confess to you. I giggle a little bit every inside when I read this. But how beautiful is that? That, they, that Adam and Eve existed in this garden in a state where there was no shame. They didn't know shame, guilt, didn't know evil, there was no lying, and they were connected to each other. And there was no disconnect from God. The living God would walk in the garden with them in the cool of the day. They never had to say up to this point, when I get to heaven, I'm gonna ask him about this. Like, they actually conversed with God And in this state, they were given free reign in this garden. They could eat the fruit of any tree, including the tree of life, except for just one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So when I when I come to this, I think, what's the deal with this tree? And uh, some of you may know, I spent uh, about 15, 16 years just focusing on ministering to middle schoolers. So I'd always say, you know, what is this? What is the deal with this fruit? Now, what happened when Adam and Eve ate the watermelon? Because I don't think we we need to focus on what kind of fruit it was, what kind of tree, but this uh, the the deal with this tree is that if they ate from it they would know evil. They, this tree represents so much, and this theme of choosing between knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life, this, this, uh, this theme of choosing between curses and blessings, you know, between life and death, and God saying throughout scripture, choose life. It's an important theme that, that, that reverberates throughout all of scripture. And they have this choice. Are they gonna grasp for for independence, figuring out things for themselves, or are they going to trust God and eat from the tree of life? And Genesis says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband and the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And, and before this, this moment happens, the scripture tells us that a, a serpent comes, sees Eve around this tree and she's, she's looking at it and the serpent, the enemy of our souls, the Satan, comes and whispers to her, did God really say that that you can't eat from any tree in the garden. And that's the enemy's first tactic. It was there at the beginning, this undermining of a simple obedience to God. Did God really say that? And putting doubt in there because I think what the deal with this tree is, this knowledge of good and evil, is when they when when Adam and Eve reached for the fruit and ate of this Eve, I feel like Adam was right there. The scripture doesn't mention where he was, but after she ate it, she immediately gave it to her husband and ate it. They're both there at the same time. And what it represents is they're defining. They believe the lie. Like, okay, God, I know what God said, but what he really meant. So we're just gonna do it and we're going to define truth for ourselves. We're going to define what is right and wrong for ourselves. That was the act of rebellion and there's pride in there too and they took it. Now I know uh, there's a lot of folks in our culture today that are turned off by overconfident and judgmental people when it comes to obeying God and, and looking at the scriptures and um, they've maybe come across people who are even condescending towards others who have questions about the Bible or read the text in a little bit of a different interpretation than they do. And, and I know oftentimes when, when someone says, God said it, it's in the Bible, so I believe it, boom, case closed, no more discussion. The people get turned off by that. And others are turned off uh, by this too. And and they'll walk away from the faith or they, they see that the, the people in maybe the church they grew up in or the Christians around them, they, they, they learn some of what, what people are supposed to be like when they follow the ancient path, but what the, the, the person sees doesn't match up to what God says. They say, no, that's not for me. Some people hit the eject button on, on their faith or their involvement in, in a church community and they go through something that's called a deconstructing phase deconstruction. It's a big word now. you see it on social media. I'm deconstructing or this or that. And I've found when I'm talking with people who are, are grappling with their faith or they come across something in the text that doesn't make sense or, or dealing with with a church hurt um, that the, usually they're not rejecting God. They're rejecting God's people. and and there's a, there's a dynamic there where they're dealing with hurt, that actually comes from hypocrisy that they've experienced. And there's a pastor in Portland that I have so much respect for, John Mark Comer. And uh, I found this helpful, this thought helpful when it comes to deconstruction. The healthy, there's a healthy part of deconstruction where the world has corrupted the church and people take the Bible to critique the worldliness of the church. That's a good thing but now many people take the culture of the world to critique the bible and they come to the bible with like all these uh, pre assumptions and presuppositions and they start to define good and evil for themselves and that is not good that's a different situation altogether and as someone who i i, I try to obey this book i try to to live it out and i'm also studying it weekly with the aim of teaching i freely admit that there's a lot of things in here that are hard to understand there are valid questions in here i'll never forget when i was in seminary and I realized, as a, a 21, 22 year old I realized that that the scriptures didn't come fully formed already at like at the foot of the cross and handed over to uh mary or or John like there was a process and there was no like original copy of the whole Bible somewhere. it really messed with my faith and, and I had to grapple with that, but as I realized the process of of uh, the people who've gone before us as they went through this prayerful process of the the theological term is canonization of scriptures and how all of these dozens and dozens of different authors have come together and this these these different books of the bible are woven together and and there's this overarching theme of pointing towards jesus it, and and there's we have access. Thank God we have access to over two thousand years worth of knowledge, more than two thousand years worth of knowledge from people who've become who've come before us, and they've struggled with this text and they've interpreted the text. We don't have to to make up something new. And there's there's people who 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 said oh yeah that is difficult and can give access to well the culture uh, give insight into okay in in the culture this is what it means for us and it's come to actually strengthen my faith but on the other end of the deconstruction phase is we can see how uh, uh there are people in this world that that today like appeal to the difficulty of the scripture or um but they're using a set of assumptions that don't come from God. And that they're just taking from the way the world works around and then actually questioning truth that's in here. Uh, or or they're questioning the, the dysfunction rightly in a lot of evangelical churches or a Catholic church that they come from or whatever stripe of Christianity that they come from. Sometimes people are doing that as a way of protecting themselves from the moral responsibility of obeying the scripture now those of you who uh who are parents or grandparents and they have multiple kids in the house this is something that happens to me uh, on a regular basis you just walk in the room and you know something's off your parental or grandparental spidey sense goes off and you know somebody hit somebody <laughs> and, or somebody's done something wrong and you know someone's hiding they don't want to talk about it and sometimes i have to say like okay did you hit your sister did you hit your brother and i say what's the most honest answer yeah well sometimes when i'm talking to somebody who's either going through a deconstructing phase or has come to the bible and said oh that's hard to believe i'm tossing the whole thing out not even gonna you know not even gonna do it um i want to say what's your most honest answer like i get there's difficult parts but why are you really rejecting this just because you don't like it or are you like, claiming to follow Jesus but like editing and like maybe i like the bible but i'm just going to cut this part out <laughs> and 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 ignore move on here nothing to see <laughs> keep moving here because at times uh, the the hard stuff of scripture and rejecting it is a natural reaction meaning that it goes against our nature because uh, there's this dynamic there. Like, oh, I, I totally get that. But here's the thing. The story of scripture says we weren't created to live by our nature, our, the, the nature that we've been born with. As we follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit changes our nature, changes our thoughts, our heart, the things that we want and the things that we do. And we are called by God to not live by our natural instinct you know, it's, uh, the New Testament says, with God, all things are possible. It doesn't say if you work really hard, if you strive, if you, if you uh, behave yourself, then all things are possible. No, it says when you turn over control of your life to God and you're with God, God begins to change you. You don't act your way into it. It's more of a, a turning over control of your life kind of a thing. But back in Genesis 3, We're reminded of this, that the enemy questioned God's ability to define right and wrong. That's where things started to go really wrong. And Adam and Eve made their own disastrous choice. You know, Eve took it and gave the fruit to her husband. And they said, we're going to define what's right and wrong for ourselves. So just a question to review. What was the chief sin here? At its core, pun intended, it was not about fruit. It was assuming this right to define right and wrong for themselves. Assuming that they had the authority to do that. The pride involved. Like we said, the first step of walking this path is is coming to terms with the reality that God is God and we are not. We've seen already that meaning and purpose are embedded all over creation, even down to the microscopic level. And and we are created with meaning and purpose and living in line with reality means that we as humans do not have the right to define right and wrong for ourselves. Only God does that. God defines what is pure and good and true and right. And defining it for ourselves is actually rebellion. There was a movie that came out, a film that came out uh, called A Hidden Life. Uh, Terrence Malick was the director and it centers around uh, Nazi Germany. And uh, there's, this, uh, there's this town where the whole town is just just signing up for Nazism. Just left and right. And there's one Catholic Christian guy, and this, and it's a true story, named Franz, who refused uh, to accept Nazism. And even even the priests were signing up for this. And there was one other artist in the town who painted these beautiful biblical pictures. And uh, and Franz is talking to this artist, and they're they're lamenting like, why are so few people standing up to this ideology and this 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 untruth? And there's this conversation where the artist who was broken to says, like, you know, all my paintings, they're comforting believers. But my art, it's not leading to people's repentance and conversion. And he says this chilling line. We create admirers. We do not create followers. And it's so easy for us to slip into this mode. Even if we've been following Jesus for five years or 55 years, um, this is never something we graduate from. It's a continual choice to be a follower of Jesus and not merely an admirer of Jesus. I find this language extremely helpful. So let's unpack. You've got an admirer of Jesus and a follower of Jesus. Let's talk about being an admirer of Jesus. This is someone who likes Jesus. Like, oh, I like that. Love your enemy stuff, that's a nice ideal. Or, you know, the the world's flipped upside down. Ooh, that's a nice idea. They they might even believe Jesus. Okay, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and mind, and strength, and your neighbor yourself. Okay, I believe that. But a mere admirer of Jesus likes to keep control of their life. And an, an admirer of Jesus Their ultimate goal is to be happy and comfortable. They may not really realize it. They may even articulate something different. But the the ultimate goal is to kind of put things on cruise control and just go through life. Like that's that's the end that they're going for. And faith for an admirer of Jesus is is just a tool to cope with their anxieties and, and the things that keep them from living a life of happiness. They may be interested in the Bible and and see what it has to say about their life. But for an admirer, the Bible merely plays the role of a consultant. In obedience to Jesus, like that's an option. Uh, They may believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But their behavior demonstrates something different. And that they're actually trying to control their life. This kind of Christianity in the book Brave New World and Huxley's Brave New World is the kind of Christianity, he calls it Christianity without tears. It's just, that's nice, but here's what I'm really gonna do. But we're called and we're invited to be followers of Jesus, true followers of Jesus that aspire to live in the truth in every aspect of our life, all of our relationships, holistic, And obedience is this goal. Like to be with Jesus is the main goal of our life. And the outcome of that is the desire. Like uh, I think uh, when Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. I love thinking about righteousness or right living as an acquired taste. Like we need the Holy Spirit's help to rewire our living taste buds so that we actually do hunger and thirst for right living. A true follower of Jesus hungers for this life, but has also released the outcomes, not in like a fatalistic way, where okay, this is just the way it's always gonna be, but a true follower of Jesus realizes like underneath the surface of every circumstance, even the difficulties of life, realizing okay, this hurts, on one hand, but also God is in control, and God can use this to shape my life, and and God's going to be with me, and and we're going to come out on the other end of this, even if it's on the other end of life, and we're going to gain wisdom from this, and we're going to be closer to God, and joy for a follower of Jesus, totally a characteristic of a follower of Jesus, but they don't chase happiness as the main end of of, of life, main main goal of life. Followers know that the way of Jesus has always been out of step with our culture. It's always counterculture. And they embrace, they certainly don't chase ridicule, but we embrace ridicule knowing that, oh, Jesus said when, when people ridicule us for following Jesus, like, we're in really good company. That's a, a part of of following Jesus, that means we're doing something right, even though it hurts and it's not fun. This is part of this is part of the deal. And these people aren't superhumans, followers of Jesus. They don't have some like different DNA than than other people, but through the Holy Spirit and in community, they experience what it's like to live by this new redeemed nature. And to live in a community that is governed by the, the kingdom of heaven, those rules and not the rules of the culture around them. And followers of Jesus, bit by bit, and in a progressive way sense that they are learning what it's like to live according to this redeemed nature. They're with Christ, they're being changed by Christ, and Christ is empowering them to live like Christ. So, question, what if, like, what kind of church do we need to be together to produce this kind of person, to, to help encourage each other to live as true followers of Christ? And I've got to admit, you know, uh, it, it, big church, churches all around, and as I look at the culture and, and look at my Facebook feed, I have a hunch, and I'm not thinking of any one person, in, in person or online, but just an the overarching theme is that there's actually a lot of, uh, of admirers of jesus and not a lot of followers i fear that there's too many people that are just merely admirers and that it's too easy to slip into that mode uh, many of us are attaching uh, jesus is like a side thing as a little tack on at the end to idolatrous political ideologies on the left and on the right and making those things our idols and just saying like okay and we'll we'll proof it with something that jesus said and both both extremes are incorrect and as just uh, as a as an exercise for all of us and this is hard like this is a hard gut check for me too Pick your whatever your political party of choice is and take a don't you don't don't answer now and don't put this in the comments or anything. But when you think about your political party of choice, what three things that you believe as a follower of Jesus are problematic or objectionable to your political party of choice? Think about it. Pray about it. But like a litmus test for this is that after some reflection, You can't think of anything that may be in your politics that is contradictory to the way of Jesus or at least problematic. And that's a a sign for us, like a yellow light for our heart that maybe it's not the way of Jesus that's really changing and forming you, but other sources And, and and something other than God's word is your source of truth. You know, we are called to live according to the truth of God's wisdom as, de- as defined and revealed by the person of Jesus Christ. And that must be the ambition of our lives if we're going down this ancient path. This ancient path requires us to relinquish, to attempt to define right and wrong and wisdom and folly for ourselves. We are not the source of truth. It's not inside of us. There's something inside of us that resonates when we hear the truth and and see God's def, definition of truth. But we don't do that. Only God does that. And uh, I have a friend, uh, my circle of friends, who uh, was a worship pastor and starting out at a new church. And he inherited this big worship team. But there was one singer on his worship team that that really stood out. She had a powerful voice but it was the kind of powerful voice that made you feel like someone was running their nails on the chalkboard. Just like, oh. And after a couple weeks, he finally worked up the courage to have that difficult conversation, to lovingly tell the truth and love. Like, sister, you need some voice lessons. And in the course of the conversation, she said, well, what if, I'm the only one that's on, and everyone else is off. <laughs> like She didn't realize that she was actually tone deaf. And I, I, it's, if you've been around church long enough, you, you know somebody you know, you, uh, who's been through a similar story. But what an example for as we go through our normal day-to-day life, we're surrounded by a culture that's become truth truth deaf surrounded by so many sources that are deaf to the truth and if we're not careful and we're like tuning our voice and, and our life to people who are truth deaf we're just causing even more noise angry cacophonous noise in our culture there are too many other sources that want to shape us and disciple us think about that for a second something is discipling you and me all the time something is discipling your kids all the time and your grandkids and your family and your co-workers something is shaping us and telling us what reality is and we have to be careful to connect to Jesus and connect to the truth so that we don't live a life that is truth deaf. I think about and I am totally okay if you call me a nerd but it I love the Lord of the Rings. Uh the there's so many stories that still speak to us in there. And there's this character Gollum who's been twisted and his whole life is 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 pointed at this ring and that's all he cares about. And there's this moment in the books where where someone gives the the Gollum whose whose will is bent in towards himself and towards this ring, and nothing else. They give him this bread made by the elves, and it's good, and it's filling, and it's nutritious. It's This bread is pure, and as he eats it, it's repulsive to him. He can't stomach it. It hurts, and I wonder if, as we're following Jesus, there's parts of our will, if if we're not vigilant to stay connected to Jesus and use God's word is our compass that, that, that it can become. Like, you know, Jesus is the bread of life. And when we taste it, is it revulsive to us? And maybe, maybe we need to, to have a little cleanse. That's our challenge. I'm going to do this and I invite you to do this with me to go on like an elimination diet we had to do that with one of our kids with the help of doctors like all right pull anything out that could possibly be uh, allergic or, or or not good for our bodies and then add things in bit by bit and uh, took me on a journey i didn't eat bread for like 10 years <laughs> but we take everything out and see what what's good for us and it rewired my taste buds. It rewired my my life. Um, I should probably do this again. But our challenge, let's do a spiritual elimination diet. I dare you, in this month of February that's coming up, I dare you to eliminate any and all cable news, talk radio, partisan political podcasts, and all social media for the month. That one's really going to hurt me. <laughs> I'm um, not going to twist your arm, but I, I dare you to do this and instead read two to three chapters of the Gospel of Matthew every day. You can read this whole book. If you do that every day, you could read the Gospel of Matthew two to three times in a month. I think this has the potential to be a tremendous spiritual reset, recalibration of our compass. What is truth? Which way is up and which way is down? And, and much needed in today's in today's times. And just think, I mean, this could uh, eliminating social media from your life could actually take your blood pressure down. It might make your doctor happy. There's other benefits to this, and it may give us a sense of how undernourished we've been spiritually. It may uh, we may realize the the stark contrast and realize whoa we're inundated. And I'm not picking on one source of news or whatever, but we've been we're inundated by lots of angry noise. Let's take the month of February and listen for the voice of God. And even if you go through the like if you just go through the motions, it's still possible for that kind of exercise and spiritual elimination diet to fail. It's still possible for it not to work because it's too easy for us to to operate from a posture of a mere admirer of jesus and not a follower if we're going to walk this ancient path this dynamic must be confronted you know this dynamic like adam and eve saying we're going to define truth for ourselves let's not sit in church or gather together online as just admirers. That's not going to help us grow. It's just maybe learning a couple little tidbits that are like life hacks. No, let's start with the fact that God is God, and we are not, and God is the source of truth. So in this, in this uh, spiritual reset, spiritual elimination diet, there's four invitations to repent. When we come across an area where, oh, I've been taking that as truth and taking that from the culture over what God says. Don't beat yourself up about it, but just repent. Name it. Say, God, I turn towards you. And, and, and act the opposite, <laughs> renounce. Uh, repentance is renouncing. That's the second one. Renounce saying, I no longer have control of my life. I'll trust you, God. I'll I'll do my best with, with what you've given me. I'll be a good steward with the life that you've given me, my voice and my resources, but I'm no longer gonna try to control things. I'm gonna live like this and not like this. And resolve is the third one, resolve to live in the truth. There's a tremendous power in just naming it, saying, God, show me your truth. And when you do, like as you're going through the book of Matthew, Request the power of the holy spirit to understand it but request the power of the holy spirit to obey the commands of jesus because if you look at those things you might think they're impossible and guess what they are like it's impossible to do it on your own strength those commands are impossible to obey without the power of the holy spirit and we're going to experience like this picture of it we'll take communion together next week and to receive this uh, this this grace where we 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 remember Christ's broken body and blood poured out for the salvation of the the world and remind us that we are connected to God and we can receive the help that we need now lastly I realize that a sermon, like this and looking at the text and saying God is the source of truth no matter what the authorities say no matter what the culture says the culture says live like this or do this but God says something different I totally realize that a message like this in the days and years could cut to come could be dangerous and we all sense that the cost of following Jesus will be more and more deeply experienced but as we do like let's as we experience that, as we go through this life, let's help encourage one another. Say, we can do this. There's examples, thousands of examples of people who've lived through anxious times, uncertain times, wars, rumors of wars, pandemics, and were faithful, not faithful to God, even when the culture is hostile to their faith. I believe God deep down in my guts that God is ready to bear his arm and do mighty things. We can see miracles happen no matter what the culture around us is doing. And the world so desperately needs people who know the way, who are walking in the light, who are are not flying upside down. So let's reorient together our hearts on the truth is revealed in Jesus Christ. So let me pray for you. Dear Jesus, would you please stir up in us a hunger and a thirst for following you? God, as you examine our hearts right now, will you please reveal to us any way that we've slipped into being a mere admirer of you? And when we, when we realize that, may we have the courage to turn and follow you, to make the, the, the changes in our thoughts right now, For those of us that are struggling with uh, talking bad about ourselves or or thinking uh, destructive thoughts about other people, God, we submit our minds to you, our hearts to you, our bodies to you, our relationships to you. And God, will you please make solid ground, a church that is filled with true followers, of Jesus. And and the churches in our area here, um, Shepherd of the Hills Lutheran Church, Abundant Living, Water of Life, Hillside, God, will you please do a mighty work in your church and stir up a passion for following you. Pour out your Holy Spirit on them and on us, we ask, and give us the help we need. In the mighty and strong and powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I know we, we're going through a lot of stuff. Thank you for sticking with us. But until we're together again, I just want to remind you that you can always reach us at sgbic.com. Uh, we love knowing what's going on in your life and celebrating with you, crying with you, or anything in between. So you can always get us at sgbic.com. And until we're together again, may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine down upon you. And may the Lord give you his peace. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, amen.